ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading and thank you for subscribing to this bonus edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Check this out. <laughs> the other day I'm riding in a car, right? And I'm I'm just listening to some music and and I don't even know like what I was listening to. I think I moved it from like my playlist to XM radio. So I'm riding around, you know, doing what I do. And I was stuck in traffic. I was coming from downtown in Atlanta and I was stuck in traffic. And so I just decided to put it on XM radio and I just happened to stumble upon a station and I can't remember what name of the station, but whatever the case was, um, the song that was on was you know very explicit but it was one of the the, the you know the channels that plays explicit music and, and and you know honestly as a father like i don't really it's not until the kids are in the car with me that i kind of pay attention to that stuff but any other time you know you're riding a car you're not really paying attention to the explicit lyrics now this particular time i'm not i'm in the car but i'm by myself so it's not affecting me but because i'm sitting in traffic i'm actually starting to pay attention to the lyrics and I was like, wow, they are really, really, you know, <laughs> explicit on this. And and you guys know me as a huge rap fan. I'm I'm not the least bit bothered by someone saying something sexual or innuendo or anything like that. Because, you know, hey, that's where rap came from, or at least a lot of it. Um, nonetheless, uh, it got me to thinking about the days of the parental advisory sticker. Uh, yes, I'm from that era where, you know, at one point in time, um, they would actually put a sticker on your album, on your tape, on your subsequent CD uh, that would read parental advisory. Uh, and you had to be at one point in time, you had to be a certain age to buy anything with a parental advisory sticker on the label um and the era that preceded that that's the era that i kind of want to focus on uh on this podcast uh because hearing that song made me think about the sticker era and then in the era in which i came up in when i was fairly young uh there were some songs that did not get a sticker because there was no such thing as a sticker back then but it made me think like they really played these songs and they really not only played the songs and had videos for it, but our parents pretty much let us sing these songs <laughs> and they didn't stop us um so i want to start with just i, I want to give you guys a couple of songs uh just to kind of take with you but again you have to kind of listen to it and appreciate this podcast in context because uh for a lot of you depending on your age you probably only know a world where there was explicit lyrics on in songs and you know you didn't think nothing other or you know your parents uh let you or didn't let you listen to it um so let's go back i want to go back to and and these are in no particular order actually the order that i'm gonna list these songs in are based on when they were released um, first up, 
Mary Jane by Rick James. I'm one of the baddest motherfuckers of all time. I'm one of the best singers, one of the best looking motherfuckers you've ever seen. Hold my drink, bitch. You walk into any chick looking the whole Saturday face, man. I'm Rick James, bitch. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> yes. They let us listen to this song. Now, Rick James, this song was, I, to, much to my surprise, this song was released in April of 1978 uh, as a kid who was born in 1972. I was fairly young, but I honestly, I don't remember singing this song until like 1980, maybe 81. So the song had been out for a while, but my memory goes back to probably, at least for this song, um, hearing it on the radio and singing it. And this was like 81, 1980, 81. So I was still young, you know what I'm saying? But the song actually came out April of 1978. And so in this song, Rick James is singing about Mary Jane. Now, you could probably listen to this song a gazillion times. And if you weren't none the wiser, you would think that Rick was talking about a woman. He's not. <laughs> Rick is talking about marijuana, a.k.a. weed, a.k.a. reefer, a.k.a. a joint, a.k.a. left-handed cigarettes. <laughs> Any a.k.a. you want to throw in there. That's what Rick is talking about. And so, but the song is cleverly written that it gives off the impression that he's talking about a woman. But he's not. He is talking about his love for the stickiest of the icky. <laughs> That's right. Rick was a little ahead of his time on this one. And the song is funky. It jams. And it's something that, you know, we still bump to this day. And again, he's not talking about a woman at all. And I like in this song, well, actually, this song is the father to D'Angelo's Brown Sugar, a song in which D'Angelo talked explicitly about Brown Sugar. And Brown Sugar is a reference to, much like this song, it's a reference to weed. It's not about a woman. And it's funny because I remember doing um, a podcast a couple of years ago talking about Brown Sugar that particular song on the Brown Sugar album. And I had a couple people, a couple people hit me up and say, Oh man, I did I, you know, I listened to your podcast. I never knew Brown Sugar was about, <laughs> was about weed. Yeah. It's not about a woman. It's about weed. Go listen to it when you finish this podcast. And more importantly, listen to this song. Um, again, Mary Jane, Rick James, 1978. He's talking about weed. And this song got major airplay on the radio. Uh, and they let us sing this song. All right, my next song. 
this one's interesting because, well, first of all, it came out in 1981. Um, a song called She's a Bad Mama Jamma. She's Built, She's Stacked by Carl Carlton. Um, I remember hearing this song a lot on the radio. And this song really is just an ode to a woman's body. I mean, he just lays it out. He's He doesn't hold back. You know, back then in 1981, it was an honor to <laughs> be called a bad mama jamma. I guess, you know, that that was the, you know, in, in 2022, I guess, you know, some of you, not all of you, but some of you would call yourselves or call a, a, someone a bad bitch. Yeah, but that in, in 1981, you were a bad mama jamma. In fact, I think we should bring bad mama jamma back because bad mama jamma sounds so much better than bad bitch. But I, I digress. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's the, the chorus went, she's a bad mama jamma. Just as fine as she can be. Hey, she's a bad mama jamma, just as fine as she could be. Goes in the court into to verse one. Her body measurements are perfect in every dimension. She's got a figure that's sure enough, sure enough getting attention. She's poetry in motion, a beautiful sight to see. I get I get so excited viewing her anatomy. Um, yeah, man. I remember being a young boy. And again, I'm not even by the, by the time this song comes out, I'm like eight or nine. I'm not old enough to necessarily comprehend what it is he's saying. He's clearly giving her props about her body, but the song objectifies <laughs> a woman. The entire song is about a woman's body. And again, this got major airplay. I think if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I think I remember seeing this guy, Carl Carlton, on Soul Train on a Saturday morning performing this song, um, which, you know. That's pretty big time if you uh, <laughs> if you can make it to Soul Train, uh, this song was actually nominated for a Grammy for best male R&B vocal performance. So, you know, shout out to Carl. But yeah, even as a young child, they let us sing this song. All right. <laughs> My next song was released August 11th, 1982. Produced by Prince Rogers Nelson. The performer, a group called Vanity Six. The song was entitled Nasty Girl. Man, listen, I had no business singing this song. <laughs> 
And once the video came out, I had no business watching this video. Uh, and it's it's interesting because I do remember seeing the video because we got cable, cable TV right around 1981. So we had cable for maybe a year. And I think I want to say I saw this on MTV. Well, I had to have seen it on MTV because I don't think we had BET at the time. BET probably came the following year, I think. Uh, I'm not sure. But yeah, first of all, the three members of Vanity Six, uh, beautiful, obviously led by uh, Vanity Matthews, who was once uh, Prince's girlfriend. Uh, she was obviously his protege. Um, and, um, you know, Vanity Six, I mean, they come out on stage in lingerie. <laughs> so for a young boy about to turn 10 years old, man, I mean, this was <laughs> this was must see. But, um, yeah, uh, she's, they are very explicit. The chorus goes, tonight, I'm living in a fantasy, my own little nasty world. Tonight, don't you want to come with me? Do you think I'm a nasty girl? Tonight, I'm living in a fantasy, my own little nasty world. Tonight, don't you want to come with me? Do you think I'm a nasty girl? And in verse two, she says, I guess I'm used to sailors. I think they got water on the brain. I think they got more water upstairs than they got sugar on a candy cane. That's right. It's been a long time since a man that, that did it real good. If you ain't scared to take it out, I'll do it real live like a nasty girl should. So <laughs> the part where she says, if you ain't scared, to take it out. Like you just want him to just whip it out. Like, so you can see what he's working with. And later on in the song, uh, at the end of the song, she does mention something about, um, she said, I need seven inches or more. <laughs> so she wants to see what you're working with first before y'all can get down. Um, and, you know, I ain't mad at that vanity. Rest in peace. Uh, but she was definitely down for the nah me, you know? <laughs> And I can't blame her. Um, but yeah, they they let us sing this song. I mean, like this song got, again, major airplay. Um, definitely was the video was seen. Uh, the videos on YouTube. Again, I encourage you uh, during your time of chilling. Go watch. The, <laughs> go watch the video. Now, I mean, I grant it, now, it's not anything twerking. It's not it's not the worst thing that you've seen. And the. And, to be honest, these aren't the worst lyrics, but actually for the time, this was very risque, if you will. Um, but again, I'm surprised, very surprised that they let us sing this song. All right, my next song. <laughs> ah, my man, Prince Rogers Nelson, the goat. Um, 
June 25th, 1984, he releases the album Purple Rain. Track five on Purple Rain is one of the baddest songs on the album. It appears in the movie Purple Rain. The song is entitled Darling Nikki. <laughs> Man, listen. Uh, Prince, if there was a song that, you know, was we probably shouldn't have been listening to without any type of adult supervision. Prince is probably going to be on that list. Uh, there were actually committees. Um, I remember one specific committee that was led by uh, um, a lady by the name of Tipper Gore, who happens to be the wife of um, Al Gore. Uh, she was on a committee to ban, you know, music or, you know, campaign for, you know, the advisory labels and ultimately she pushed and pushed and pushed and and their uh group got record labels to put the parental discretion advisory sticker on you know these songs on on these albums and what have you uh but this song man listen uh <laughs> prince starts off i knew a girl named nikki i guess you could say she was a sex fiend i met her in a hotel lobby masturbating with a magazine she said how'd you like to waste some time and i could not resist when i saw little nikki cry <laughs> ah yes um this that that was pushing it i mean like really pushing it i mean because when he called her a sex fiend and again this comes this came out 84 so i'm 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 11 about to turn 12. Uh I didn't know what a sex fiend was. <laughs> and then he said she was masturbating with a magazine. I didn't know what masturbating was either. So they really shouldn't let us be they shouldn't have let us sing this song. I mean, but we clearly I had that I heard the Purple Rain album. So I mean, like I had a joint on vinyl. So <laughs> I was clearly singing songs that I had no business singing and nobody stopped me. <laughs> But I absolutely it's one of my one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, and when you get some time, sit down and watch Purple Rain when he performs this. Oh my God, man. It, it's it's about, you know, it's a he he does it to embarrass her because she's trying to go back and forth between him and Morris Day. And when she runs about a, uh, the club, he's like, come back, Nick, come back, Nikki, come back. Your darling Prince want to grind. He humping the floor and stuff, man. I crack up every time I see that part of the movie because it's just so funny, man. It, it, I love it, man. I miss Prince. That, I mean, if you you if you know me personally and you've heard me talk about it, that, that's my guy. Right. One of my favorite artists, probably my favorite artist of all time. And um this song, this album was incredible to me. It still is. It's something I still listen to to this day. And uh, yeah, man, um, they probably shouldn't have let us listen to this song, but they actually let us sing this song. You could say she was a sex fiend I met her in a hotel lobby Masturbating with a magazine She said, how 
Another gem from 1984. This was this one was released in October 2nd, 1984. The track called Sugar Walls, performed by Sheena Easton. And you guessed it, it was written by Prince. <laughs> And Prince had a hand on a on a few of these songs, as you could tell. Um, but yeah, Sheena Easton. Um, and what's interesting was Prince wrote this song under the pseudonym Alexander Nevermind. Um, but he wrote it. It was his joint. Um, yeah, but you know, Sheena Easton, you know, was a white singer. Uh, this song got a lot of air. It didn't get a lot of airplay on um, black radio, but I did hear it on black radio. Um, but, uh, you know, it got a lot of airplay on MTV and white radio. Um, <laughs> she says in the song, uh, verse two, blood races to your private spots. Let's me know there's a fire. You can't fight passion when passion is hot. Temperatures rising in my sugar walls. And the chorus goes, let me take you somewhere you've never been. I can show you things you've never seen. I can make you never want to fall in love again. Come spend the night inside my sugar walls. <laughs> I mean, it's clearly going down, Jack. <laughs> and this was cool. Nobody said nothing. And again, this is 84. Like, so rapping, you know, nobody's rapping about stuff like this. This isn't, this is mainstream radio and it's getting major airplay. And they actually let us listen, excuse me, they actually let us sing this song. All right, man. So, <laughs> ironically, this next song comes out October 31st, 1984. 1984 was a hot year. Uh, the song, arguably, I would probably say this is probably the most popular song that I, that I you know, is going gonna, gonna to fall on this list. Uh, the song was entitled Like a Virgin by the artist Madonna off her debut album. 
Um, I think this was a debut album. I know it was her namesake album. Um, this was the number one hit. Uh, and this was controversial um, because the word virgin, at least to my knowledge, you know, at that particular time, didn't appear in any song. Now, you had songs that were um, sexually, uh, I guess, the innuendo was there as far as sexual was concerned. But I don't ever recall up until that point in my brief knowledge of music, uh, hearing a song with the word virgin in the chorus or in the song. Um, Madonna starts off verse one. I made it through the wilderness. Somehow I made it through. Didn't know how lost I was until I found you. I was beat incomplete. I've been had. I was sad and blue, but you made me feel. Yeah. You made me feel shiny and new. And the chorus goes like a virgin touch for the very first time. Like a virgin. When your heart beat next to mine, when your heart beats next to mine. Now, you're probably thinking that's pretty tame, but actually that was very, very, uh, that wasn't something that was done. And again, this is a huge pop singer and a huge, this is a number one song, not today's number one. I mean, like this was the number one song in the country for weeks. In the video, Madonna's in like this white, I mean, like she's in a dress like a virgin. Um, and what's interesting was the song was written by a guy by the name of Billy Steinberg. And he said, quote, the song was not written for Madonna, but was inspired by my personal experiences. He said in an article that, you know, he had just come out of a relationship and it was challenging and he met someone new. And he said, quote, I was saying that I may not really be a virgin, but I'm starting a new relationship and it just feels so good because it's so much deeper and more profound than anything I've ever felt. Close quote. That might be true. <laughs> but when you say like a virgin touch for the very first time, you got Madonna half naked on stage. I mean. It's a different vibe. And we were able to get that off in 84 and nobody said nothing. And we and this song got played on black radio, too, by the way. But it was all over MTV. Again, it's the most popular song that uh, I picked for this list and still scratching my head. But they let us sing this song.
All right. <laughs> Last but not least, probably the second most popular song on this list. Um, it well, I mean, I hell, I guess you could you could probably make a case that it was just as popular as Madonna's song, but for all the wrong reasons. It never made it to number one, but it caused a huge controversy. Um, the song "Me So Horny" by the Two Live Crew from the groundbreaking, controversial, uh, and successful third album from the Two Live Crew. The album was entitled As Nasty As They Want to Be. Uh, the song was released February 7th, 1989. Um, well, first and foremost, this album, or well, this song in particular, was inspired and taken from the uh, movie Full Metal Jacket, a scene in Full Metal Jacket. Let's take a listen to this scene. So that's where it came from, right? And I remember um, DJ Mr. Mix of the Two Live Crew, he said, we were in D.C. Marquise, one of the members of the Two Live Crew, was watching Full Metal Jacket in the hotel on TV. And we saw the part where the girl said, me so horny. And he said, man, we got to do something with that shit. So as soon as we got back home, I rented the movie, sampled the piece from the girl. I already had the music program, so we put the two things together. We got a hit. Close quote. Um, I I think by the time when this song came out, I had not seen the movie Full Metal Jacket. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> and I remember seeing it years later, and it was you know it was a decent movie, but um, yeah, that scene was everything, and what they were able to do with it was everything. And when I tell you all hell broke loose when this album came out and this song in particular and this song was on black radio it was on white radio it was on mtv it was on bet it was everywhere and it caused so much controversy for you know the two live crew uncle luke or luke skywalker at the time and but we sang this song we rapped along and i mean like it was <laughs> it's luke man i mean it's too live it's the it's the crew it's they were at a point where, you know, there weren't a lot of Southern rappers at the time and, you know, Miami bass, if you will, or Southern rap, a lot of Southern rap at the time was just known for what, what people used to call booty shake. So 
they were getting hated on from everywhere. They were getting hated on for one, the, the sexually explicit lyrics. And then they were also getting hated on for, from people in the rap community because, you know, they were just like, man, these dudes ain't rapping. They just talking shit. Like they're not, you know, they're not rapping about anything, but I had the album <laughs> as nasty as they want to be. And I bought it. And again, it came out 89. So, you know, I'm old enough to buy it. And I, and I, and I know obviously it had a parental advisory sticker on it, but there was nothing that stopped me from buying. Like there was nobody to say, Hey, you got to be 18 to buy it. I just went to the you know local record shop and got it. That was it. I went to Ray, shout out to Ray's records. Um, but yeah, I went there and got it. And uh, this song was incredible. <laughs> and it's still like when I listened to when I listened to As Nasty As They Want to Be, I found all of that stuff to be um, funny because, you know, at the time, I'm probably what? 16, 17. Um, yeah, I'm 16 at the time. And so, you know that stuff is funny to me. Like I'm not offended by, you know, the sex talk and let me do this and let me do that to you. And whatever the case may be, it was just, it was just funny to me. And so it's just like any other teenage boy, you, 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 if you tell a sex joke, they're going to laugh. If you, um, yeah, if you tell a sex joke, they're going to laugh. And that's just what we did. So this was like one big sex joke. That was, that's what the album was. It wasn't like, it wasn't paid in full. It wasn't <laughs> criminal minded. It wasn't anything like that. It wasn't bigger and deafer, but it was a good album that I enjoyed playing over and over and over and over again. But um, yeah, man, this this song, uh, Me So Horny, um, this, uh, this album and this song broke laws. Uh, it got two live crew banned. <laughs> it got albums pulled off shelves. All hell broke loose when this album came out, but Nonetheless, they let us sing this song. I mean, sitting at home with my dick all hard. So I got the black book for a freak to call. Picked up the telephone, then dialed the seven digits. Said, yo, yo, this Marquis baby, are you down with it? I arrived, at, I arrived at her house, knocked at the door, not having no idea of what the night had in store. I'm like a dog in heat. 
a freak without warning. I have an appetite for sex because me so horny. <laughs> Man, that's, that's still funny to me to this day. And I know I'm too old to be laughing at these lyrics, but it's hilarious. But um, yeah, I just, like I said, I wanted to get on here and just kind of break it down for you guys uh, that, yeah, while things have changed, uh, you know, music is way more, you know, quote unquote explicit. Uh, there are some songs that are just downright offensive, but you know, we, our sensibilities aren't the same. And honestly, there's probably nothing that you can say in a song that we have not heard before. So, you know, when you take a song like, uh, me so horny, part of it's, it's, it's glory was the shock value of what was being said. And that was the thing about as nasty as they want to be that I really enjoyed as an album was that. We were like, yo, I can't believe they said that. It was almost the same like when NWA said fuck the police. Like we couldn't believe that somebody could say fuck the police on record and not get in trouble. And you could make a song like me so horny and not get in trouble. Well, they, well, they got in trouble, but you get my point. So, you know, all in all, these were very popular songs. And it just kind of made me think back to an era where, you know, even though things were sexually suggestive or, you know, problematic, it were, they, in my opinion, they were still good songs. They were still songs that made me reminisce anytime I hear them. Um, you know, <laughs> that uh, Nasty Girl video still, you know, still something I want to look at uh, because those women were fine. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it just shows you how far we've come. But, uh, you know, still got me scratching my head that they let us get this off. And, you know, we were able to sing those songs and it was all good. <laughs> but, hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for checking out this edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. Uh, that's going to do it for me. I'm your boy, 12 Kyle. I'll catch you guys next time. Five G's.